Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study, or good afternoon or evening, depending on where you are. My name is Rebecca F. as in flower, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Connecticut. Today is Monday, March 16th, 2020, and this is our 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are in Chapter 7, working with others on page 97. We will be reading and commenting on the second paragraph, which begins with, we seldom allow and ends with complications in a family. Today's readers are Wendy M., Alice G., Lisa B., Marge O., and Jen A. The share ID number for yesterday, Sunday, March 15, 2020's special edition meeting is 14,258. That's 14258. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Wendy M. to read the OA 12 steps. Good morning. I'm Wendy M. in Raleigh, North Carolina, a recovered compulsive overeater. These are the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, 
We try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service. Thank you, Wendy M. I will now ask Alice G. to read the OA 12 Traditions. Good morning, Alice G., Recovering Compulsive Overeater in Wisconsin. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, or prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Alice G. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book and we are in chapter seven, working with others on page 97. We will be reading and commenting on the second paragraph, which begins with, we seldom allow and ends with complications in a family. We will now ask, I will now ask Lisa B. to go ahead and read that for us. Good morning. My name is Lisa B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. We seldom allow an alcoholic to live in our homes for long at a time. It's not good for him. 
and it sometimes creates serious complications in a family. Well, I love studying this chapter. Um, the previous page, we read that that the person that we're working with, they may be more willing to listen to the solution that we offer, this big book message, if they get hurt some more. So this paragraph, I have not had this experience where I've had someone live in my home with me, but I love using this as a guide, a direction, because if that chance did come around, you know, that I could possibly ask someone to live in my home, it's telling me specifically that there's a reason why we seldom allow this person. And I really believe because for me, I'm always looking for a soft, easy place to fall. You know, that's just the way I am, this addict that I am. And then the page that we're going to be studying in the next day or so, it's going to describe to me that it's not the, the matter of giving, but when and how to give. And, and that's really what I need help with. And that's what th this paragraph is telling me. Um, it's saying that it's not going to be good for them because um, I think because, you know, we look for ways to take we look for ways to get an easy ride and it also can create serious complications in a family um, so I guess that's all I have to share I pass thank you thank you Lisa B if you haven't shared in this meeting in the past couple of days and would like to share on the second paragraph on page 97 in the big book please press star 1 to unmute and state your first name and last initial this is Larry K. Larry K. Kelly G. Was it Kelly G? Yeah. Gotcha. Anyone else want to get in line? Danielle M. Danielle M. Is it? Yes. Great. Cheryl A. Cheryl A. Well, yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Leah S. Diane B. Diane B. Okay. We have Larry K., Kelly G., Danielle M., Cheryl A., Leah S., and Diane B. Larry K., it's your turn. Good morning. Thanks, Rebecca, for your service. Larry K., recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. Set my timer there. You know, it's it's often um, the instinct of a person who's who's particularly someone who's well today, a person who's recovered, uh, to perhaps go above and beyond, you know, to to fix things uh, for the still suffering addict. And and but but substance abuse can be an intractable problem, and and because of that, going to great lengths to help that person, like opening up your home to them. Uh, comes with its share of risks, and you know you may be depriving them of a divinely inspired uh, uh, spiritual bottom that 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 might catapult them towards um, uh, spiritual recovery, right? And again, this is this is a tough choice for each person. So for me, you know, we, you know, we when faced with indecision, you know, the big book reminds me to turn to God for direction because after all, God isn't just in charge of my food. God's in charge of I'm placing. Uh, I'm asking God to take the wheel in every area of my life. Now, there was a time that the circumstances in my personal life were such that I asked a family member to allow me to move in with them temporarily. And I was going through a separation, uh, later a divorce with my, my wife, and my life was completely out of control. I didn't know it at the time. 
the disease was was tightening the noose around my neck. It was closing in on me. And I did move in with my mom at that time. Let me tell you, it was a total disaster because I was I was I was being deprived. It, it wasn't her fault. She was my mother. Of course, she was going to open her home to me. But I was being deprived and I was deprived for quite a long time of of that uh, spiritual bottom that I needed to experience. It kept me propped up. Now, that was my issue, not hers. I, I, I understand why she took me in. And most parents would, would do that if they could. I'm just telling you my experience. I, I continued to eat. I continued to, to roar through like a tornado in everyone's life. And it was uh, disastrous, not only for my mom, certainly for myself and all the people around me. And so I will tell you, I can, I can tell you with honest, honesty about my own situation where, uh, uh, you know, perhaps uh, sometimes um, it's better not to enable someone, but it's a tough choice. And that's why we go to God as recovered people today. We go to God for that decision. But um, uh, so that, that's my two cents on it. And uh, I'd love to hear more of the shares. Thanks, Rebecca. I'll pass. Thank you for sharing, Larry Kay. Kelly G. Hi, Kelly G. from Florida. Good morning. Um, I guess my experience with this is I had a sponsor, and I had one of those sponsors who sponsors everybody. So she had like 20 sponsees. And, of course, I thought she always had a favorite one because there was one that she always let stay at her house when she was relapsing. And it was always like, all oh, this person's at her house. And I always thought to myself, lucky her. Like her recovery must be so much stronger because she can live at her sponsor's house. And she'd live at her sponsor's house for a month, two months, get out, be doing well, and then have a relapse. And then she'd come back and visit and stay at her sponsor's house. And I was like, what is this? That must be so safe to to, to be released into this world and, oh, it's scary and let me go run back to my sponsor's house because my sponsor is God and my sponsor is going to save me and help me get this program again. And it just felt like I was almost resentful. I was like, that, that must be nice. I wish I could do that. But till this day, you know, I never did stay at my sponsor's house and I do have, have had several sponsors. Um, since then. And now this person is back in a real treatment center. So what that teaches me is just that there is no person, place or thing that can relieve me from this disease. It is so much greater than that. And um, I remember when I was in college, I'd always when I would act out of my eating disorder, which at the time I didn't even know this was a disease. I didn't even know it was a thing. I just knew I had eating problems. I'd always run home for the weekend to my mom and I'd stay the weekend and recharge and regroup and, and get on the right track. Then I'd go back to school and the same thing would happen. And my mom saved me from everything else. I don't know why she couldn't save me from this. But um, yeah, it's just a reminder that even though there's a sponsor, even though there's a fellowship, even though there's, you know, people who have so much time under their belt, nobody can save, no person can save me from this disease. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you for sharing, Kelly G. Danielle M., you're next. 
Uh, hi, this is Danielle M. from New Jersey, um, the Baltimore Reader, of course. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about this. Um, this is one that it helps to think about it directly as it's written and also to expand that definition. Um, I had someone uh, who needed a home very desperately, um, but this person was so in their disease. I mean, they were just getting sicker and sicker, and their world was chaotic. And I have space here for someone to come live with me. Um, and I'll tell you, I felt really guilty about saying no. But when I went to God, I realized I don't own the house I live in. I live in a house that my parents own. I would have been really imposing on them. And I had to look at my motivation. Um, you know, when I put down the food, at a certain point, the food became too easy to keep down. I mean, that sounds crazy. That would have sounded crazy to me a couple of years ago. But what happens that's a little more challenging for me today is that my disease comes around in areas I don't recognize. It doesn't look like a cake anymore. It looks like another higher power. And it might be in the form that I'm the higher power, I'm going to solve this person's problem, or it might be that that person is a higher power. Um, the other thing I try to do with this definition uh, or is expand the definition of home, inviting person into my home. To me, my home is a sanctuary. It's a place, you know, that I've built a place of peace. You know, externally, that's literally my home now. I used to sleep under a pile of garbage, you know, in my old house. When I, before I came into recovery, I lived under a, I slept under a pile of garbage. There was dog pee all over my house. There were roaches. I mean, it's not like I live now. Right now, I'm looking at a made bed, vacuum floors. You know, it's a very different life. And I try to do that with my internal life, my internal home, my internal serenity. And I look at this as I can't let somebody in who's still very active in their disease and not looking to get better. If somebody is looking to get better, you can come into my space and I will go to the ends of the earth to help you. But a lot of times when it's somebody that is not looking to get better, but I want to force them to get better, I'm trying to drag them. And I lose my, my own serenity. My, my internal house becomes, you know, a place of chaos. Um, I had a ton of trouble making other people my God and making myself my God and handling other people's situations. And what's really worked for me is, not only consulting with God, but getting guidance from other fellows in OA who have dealt with these problems surrounding making other people a God, you know, in that way. And if I still don't get it, sometimes, you know, I'll even dip into another fellowship where they're exclusively working on that using our steps. And it all refers back to my OA program. So that's, what's, that's how I view this today. Um, thanks for letting me share today. I really needed to share. Thanks, Danielle, um, for sharing. Cheryl A., you're next. Hi, this is uh, Cheryl A., recovered compulsive overeater in Brookline, Massachusetts. And um, I actually, years ago, did have someone stay with me in my home. Uh, someone in program that I knew in Washington, D.C. became homeless. And, and I welcomed them into my home for a period of time. They were in a very difficult place. And they stayed with me, I want to say, it was somewhere between four and six weeks. And by the end, it was a disaster. Um, it was a disaster. <laughs> and um, I didn't know this person extraordinarily well. And I wanted so much to be of service to them. It's what I wanted. I didn't really think twice 
didn't spend a lot of time in contemplation and prayer about it. It was just this gut. I, I want to be of service and help this person. And then this person became someone actually who wasn't safe. And I had to almost, um, you know, I had to take some, some drastic measures to have them actually leave my home. Now, that doesn't mean that this principle in the big book of, um, of being of service to others to also an, an extensive extent is sometimes appropriate. It is. Um, but there's the, the, the warning in there that we hear, you know, that uh, it's not um, healthy or safe potentially um, to do that for any length of time certainly was my experience. Um, and I didn't have any other family living with me at the time. I lived by myself. Um, I am applying that principle to other parts of my life. And I am someone whose disease does manifest at different points through a desire should be whether it's somewhere between codependency. It's not just codependency, though. I think sometimes it's avoidance of the hard work, the deepest work that I have to do for myself. It is just a lot easier to focus on, on someone else. And I think that is um, another aspect, which is that we can't, I can't lose me. I can't lose the fundamental core of what I must do for my own recovery and program. Because I'd sure much, I'd much rather focus on you. I'd much rather focus on on that person I can be of service to. That kind of service is no service. Um, and in in these extreme days, <laughs> I keep waking up thinking I'm gonna like wake up from from the dream, the bad dream that seems to be happening um, in Massachusetts. Uh, Rebecca, can you let me know if I'm um, getting close? But um, in Massachusetts. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's significant and dramatic um, how everyone is coping now with the coronavirus. And every, I find my instincts, I want to help this person and I want to help that person and I want to go to that person's home and bring them this, bring them that. And I am really having and seeing that tendency to really want mm. desperately, thank you, to be of service to others and remembering, keep it square, Cheryl. And um, I'm so grateful to be with all of you this morning. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Cheryl A. Leah S., your turn. Thank you very much, um, Rebecca. Um, Leah S., recovered and grateful in Brooklyn, uh, New York. So um, I I need to say that when I did the uh, fifth step, I did go to my sponsor's house and and spent some time there. I spent almost practically the the entire day over there. Um, uh, And and what happened was in my journey of um, doing these steps, I have opened my house to uh, people who wanted to know the steps and have given of my time, but to actually um, uh, have someone uh, or even, you know, spontaneously uh, call a meeting when, when our meeting place was closed or for a legal holiday or whatever, that I did not do. And the reason I did not do that is because I live with people who are not uh, at all in this program, and um, they need their privacy, and this is their home as well. 
So I didn't, um, I wasn't able to open my, but for those, uh, I have opened my home for those people who really wanted to know and understand this way of life, of eating and how to implement, you know, especially when, when explaining step four, um, I have had people over at my house where, where um, we did spend a significant time together, but of course not imposing on anyone else within my house. And that's what I think they're saying about it can cause serious complications because me, myself, I am learning how to get along with people in my house and not to, and to live tranquilly and, 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 and have good relationships. So um, this is not at all about other people that are not in my household. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah S. Diane B. Good morning. This is Diane B. in German-fested New Rochelle, New York. Very grateful for this phone meeting because all of our face-to-face meetings have been canceled. Um, So I just wanted to say that I have taken people into my home for many different reasons over the years. Um, I have a friend who has an abusive husband and an abusive son, and she has spent time here. I have another friend who has been here during heat waves because she doesn't have air conditioning. Uh, For each of those situations, they were here for like a day or two, and it was fine, no problem. But um, at one one point, one of my friends had surgery, and she lives alone, so she asked me if she could stay with me, and I said that would be fine, Um, and I gave her a two-week limit for her rehab, for her um, convalescence, and she, you know, we agreed on that. And she also asked me, she told me she was in relapse, she asked me if it was okay if she had um, foods that I didn't eat in the house, and I thought that would be fine because I have, I had, I don't any longer, but I had children living in my house who ate everything, and I was always fine with that, but um She started to ask me to go to the grocery store for her, and that became difficult for me when she asked me to buy her whatever food that that I don't eat that um, and most people I know in program would not eat. Um, That was hard for me, and I said, you know, and I told her, I said, I don't want to do that. I will get you, you know, whatever, but I won't get that. And she was like, but you told me it was okay, you know, before she even moved in. So... Um, What I learned from that is that I have to really set boundaries, and if I'm going to let somebody stay in my house, I have to be very clear as to uh, what my house rules are and how long they can stay. I had one woman stay here last summer who kept extending, um, and then when she finally moved out, she left some of her stuff here. um, And I was like, you know, you got to get your stuff out. Um, And finally, a couple of months later, she did, but only after I told her that, You know, I was making a donation, and if her stuff wasn't out by that day, it was going on the curb with the rest of the stuff. And then she did finally come get it. But so what I learned, again, what I said is that I have to learn boundaries, and that's not just true with letting people stay in my house. That's true in all of my life. I have to set boundaries. I have to have clear-cut boundaries, and I have to be able to stick with them, which is a very difficult lesson for me to do. Um, So... You know, it's not only about the other person to me. I mean, yes, we're not teaching the other person or the other person isn't learning anything, not that I have to teach them, but they're not learning anything in terms of taking care of themselves if they're relying on on me or another person for this kind of help. 
But I also have to learn that lesson of setting the boundary and, and staying true to my higher power and to myself to protect my recovery. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Diane B. If you got on the meeting late, I'll just let you know that we read the second paragraph on page 97, We Seldom Allow. And if you'd like to share on that paragraph and haven't shared on this meeting in a couple of days, you're welcome to give me your name and last initial. Ned S. Linda D. Vasa O. Wait one second, Linda D. Vasa O. Okay, I'm Toby W. I heard Toby W. and I think someone else at the same time. Uh, Nancy. Uh-oh, two others, I think. Was one of them in Nancy? Nancy J. Nancy J. and Kathy W. Celine D. Celine D. Yes. I think there's time for at least one more. Ned S. I've got you. You're first, Ned. Okay. We have Ned S., Linda D., Vasa O., Toby W., Nancy J., Kathy W. and Celine D. Let's go with you. Ned S., you go next. Thank you. Uh, I assume you can hear me. Yes, we can. Yeah. Okay. Um, Larry came the closest um, to my feelings. Um, even though last week uh, there was a chapter or there was a paragraph saying that uh, he had committed to, or that he was ready to go through the 12 steps. Um, here is where the difference between alcohol and food, I think, uh, becomes apparent. Uh, I have a family uh, member, um, my child, and all that happened while she was proud of me, as she said, for my example, um, the amounts of food uh, were enormous. I couldn't, I couldn't set an example, uh, and I think that's where I think that's where the problem was. She accepted my decision, but she was not ready to make hers. And under those circumstances, I don't think as much time as she spent here. Uh, did any good. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Ned S., for sharing. Linda D. Morning, everybody. It's Linda D., recovered. So grateful, thankful to be recovered in Connecticut. Um, at first, I thought I wouldn't have anything to say, and then I listened to you all, and I started to react. Um, and this is what I've got. Um, I always have to remember, I choose to remember, that um, I'm very self-destructive. And if I'm not eating self-destructively, which I am not, um, of course, part of this is chemistry, you know, brain chemistry, That aside, it's the thinking that's self-destructive. And I have six years and a couple months uh, recovered. And that means I'm a very young pup. 
very, very young puppies. And I don't know how to think really well. And that doesn't mean I'm not smart. That means I think I know things I don't know. I do not know how to live a creative life. I have to go home for that. And that brought up the word in here, home. Where is home? Home is with God. Now, I had no idea that was true, and I couldn't have cared less. Because peanut butter was home to me, and you'll smirk, but isn't that the truth? And, um, well, it's not. And my whole life has been saved by this program, by God, by these 12 steps. And that's saying something, because I was an atheist, and I really meant that. I didn't want to be, but I was. This program has given, these steps have given me a life beyond my wildest imagination. So I have to go home. I have to stay centered in God within me. That's my home too, in my body. It's not something I hate. It's not something that's not good enough. It's my body. It's the vehicle I've been given to walk around on this earth for as long as that's appropriate. And I know this is kind of a stretch to think of it that way, but these are the things that I have to protect. I have to listen, listen, listen. Talk to God and listen to the answer. And sometimes it comes through somebody else, like you all, who are saving my life. And I thank you beyond measure for that. And, um, and I have to protect my home, my, my body, instead of um, assaulting it with thoughts of not good enough and hating it, and beating it up, or starving it, or criticizing it in the mirror. That is a full-time job. And thank God that God's up to it, because that's how I walk around. Unless I skate off the pond, you know, and fall into a hole called my own decisions about this is what I should be doing. Baloney. I have no idea how to live today. So I'm here because I need a lot of instruction and a lot of love, and I want to give love to. So I pass. Thanks, Linda D. Vasa O. Thank you, Rebecca. Good morning, everyone. I'm Vasa, grateful, recovered, compulsive reader, calling from Florida. And I'm just so grateful, you know, to have come to the program and to have found a power greater than myself, I have given. I have been given so much, and I just want to keep on giving it back. When we came in America, we had nothing. With the, just our clothes, just few things, and we have people have helped us so much. Till we got on our feet, till we got our till we got our green cards. And I just, we've been so, so blessed. But coming in the program, I have been blessed so much, going back to school, getting a job, to be able to earn my own money, and, uh, and just to give it back. And I've never had anybody come in my home, live, like, you know, um, use my house for, for a long time. I have people come 
we are in Florida for half of the year and half back home. So <clears throat> my sponsor lives in Maine. If she wants, they they had they lived in my town, but they moved, and now because they're older, they have more problems, physical problems. So I let them use the house for one week or whatever they want to use it. And uh, I have no problem. It's it's a freedom. I feel like you know I don't I don't want anything from them. My son came lived with us for three years after a horrible divorce, but he wanted to. He, he was a good person anyways, but it's he was not a mocha. You know he worked still worked hard. He was very responsible till he got on his feet, and then he got his own house. So I love helping people that want to help themselves, but if they don't, then I'm, you know, I have better wisdom today. You know, if people want to help themselves, they have jobs. I don't mind doing it for a little while, but I don't let people use my house if they're not working or they're not taking any, any responsibilities, taking care of themselves. So, um... I have a granddaughter that's here. She, I don't know when she's going to go back because of the corona disease. She's going to be a guest for about five or six days. I cook and I clean up. But after that, she's not going to be a guest any longer till it's time for her to go back. But she's going to have to take responsibilities, pick up the dishes and do the dishes or whatever she needs to do. Thank you for letting me share I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. Toby W. Thank you. Um, my name is Toby W. and I'm calling from uh, Florida right now. And I am grateful, recovering food addict. You know, I read the paragraph and said, "Oh, I can't relate. I never have anybody stay in my house uh, to help them um, become abstinent." And then I said, "Wait a minute." wait a minute, you did that. And I didn't go to sponsors, but I went to, uh, this was, I did it twice because this was years ago when all I thought was the food and I went to get, um, get through, get through the detox of the sugar and I would go to work and stay at their house at night and it worked. It worked while I was there. Yes, I didn't eat that night, and I didn't eat any night that I was there. But all I was doing was dealing with the food. I wasn't doing anything else. So after three, four days or a week or whatever it was that I stayed, I went home, and guess what happened? I started eating again because all I was doing was really a geographic uh, change. I took me with me, and I didn't take God anywhere. And so, I'm grateful today that I know that <laughs> it doesn't make any difference where I go. It is God, whether I'm in Florida or in the Boston area or Timbuktu. I have my higher power with me that is helping me a day at a time. Uh, to be abstinent and to work the program and work the steps 
I am on step one, and I am powerless over my food addiction. And my life had become unmanageable, and I am just grateful for working this program now uh, today, and that I pass. Thank you, Toby W. Uh, Nancy Day, while you're unmuting, I'll just let people who got on late know that we're on the second paragraph on page 97 in the big book. Nancy Jay, go right ahead. I'm sorry. I had, it, it muted me. Uh, this is Nancy Jay. Uh, I am recovered from, and I'm from Geneva, Illinois, the west, the western suburbs of Chicago. And I want to thank the moderator and everyone who shared before me. I'm I'm sharing live this morning. I normally just listen, but I'm sharing live because I'm home. I'm 74 years old. I work full time, but I'm working from my house and I'm going to be here all week. And I want to stay connected to my fellowship. And you people are my fellowship. And and uh, I'm so grateful so in order to be really connected, I decided to wake up early and share live. And it's such a privilege to do that. I want to say that this paragraph we read this morning, just two sentences, to me, it just screamed coronavirus. And maybe that's because I'm home and I'm thinking about the virus. So maybe I'm connecting everything to the virus. But to me, this paragraph is so much about it because it tells us uh, make make a good decision. And then I think back to page 86, 87, 88 in the big book, which tells us we are undisciplined people. So we let God discipline us. We have decisions to make with this virus. And everybody's kind of struggling with what are good decisions for them in these very unique times. And so what do we do when we can't make up our mind about what to do with the virus. We use our program. We're so lucky to have our program. And it says, we don't struggle. We relax and take it easy. That's page 86. We don't struggle. Page 87, as we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful, ask for the right thought or action. We're not running the show. Page 88, saying to ourselves many times each day, Thy will be done. And then it talks twice about foolishness, foolish decisions, which I think today's paragraph has to do with. And we don't want to make foolish decisions with the coronavirus. We want to make wise decisions, but really sometimes don't know what to do. So we ask God, we ask our higher power, help us, help me to make the right decision. And So I feel that this book, this wonderful book that helps us with all aspects of our life uh, can help us through these trying times, can help me to make hopefully good decisions. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy J. Kathy W. Hi there. This is Kathy W. from New Jersey. Um, So when I first 
saw the paragraph this morning that we're reading. I was kind of a little disappointed. I didn't think it was such a you know exciting paragraph. Um, and and there's a lot, so much going on this last week. And um, I don't know, it's just maybe a little bit more tumultuous life than than usual. Um, I don't usually share at this hour, but um, but as we were as people were talking about the paragraph, it started making me think. Um, and and I use the, the I've never had anybody stay at my house from the program, but. I've recently had a, a, a 22-year-old, 23-year-old son who graduated from college and was living back at my house. And I recall that, you know, as we've been going through this this chapter, so many times I've been I've been thinking about how I'm managing or how um how it's helping me with my relationship with my son. So I've gotten to tw- step 12, but I I'm, I haven't really I haven't um I'm I'm not sponsoring anybody yet. But it's really helping me this chapter with my relationship with my son because um you know he's floundering a little bit in like what he wants to do he has a degree where he could get a you know really good job but he wants to do something else and my my personality you know I come from a culture where you know we're very hospitable and you know overly helpful to people to family and and to some degree I think I'm making things too comfortable for him you know too comfortable that he doesn't have to make a decision because He's living here, you know. So, um, so this this chapter has been really helpful. So he did kind of, you know, he did move out a week and a half ago. Um, he still doesn't know what he's doing, but I think he needs some space from me to figure it out and 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 to fall on his, you know, to to find his bottom. Because while he's been here, I mean, I really enjoy his company. He's very pleasant. You know, we play chess every night. You know, I enjoy his company. I, I just think I'm making, I've been making it too comfortable for him. So um, just, you know, really thankful for um, the whole chapter. And um, thanks for everybody for being here today. Um, I really appreciate it. Uh, we really appreciate your share. Thanks, Kathy W. Celine D. Hi, everyone. It's Jolene, actually, like the Dolly Parton song, but that's okay. (laughs) Uh, Good morning from upstate New York. Um, I'm usually a silent listener, but this this paragraph spoke to me many years ago. Um, I opened the doors to someone uh, who had an eating disorder, and I I did too, and we were both in the same facility, and it was a day program. Um, and she lived about two hours from where the facility was. I lived much closer, so I decided to let her stay. And it wasn't a long stay, but it was long enough for me to recognize um, as much as I wanted to help, it really brought me down and brought me to a place where, and it was tough because you're split between compassion, and I know this, they talk about this in the big book, Help Your Fellow, and doing the right thing for them. And at that time, I didn't know that the right thing was letting her go. I thought I was doing the right thing by letting her stay. And she didn't eat when she was there, and she slept very late, and that triggered me and troubled me. Um, Fortunately, the stay wasn't long. But whether it's a day or a month, we know that we want to do the right thing and help them. But as someone was saying earlier, boundaries are crucial. Um, I identify with AA as well, and I had, you know, some years ago found a sponsor, and I was so excited. We really seemed to click, and she invited me to her home for dinner. And within 10 minutes, I knew I was in trouble. She was enabling her boyfriend, uh, who was still using, and it was happening right there while I was present, and I couldn't believe it. 
So, you know, sometimes it's, it's a difficult choice to make, but when we're in it, we have to remember what this is about and remember that um, they have to hit their spiritual bottom, right? Um, if we guide them without them having that, I don't think we're serving them at all. Do you remember the show Intervention? I don't remember what, what station it was on. I used, to, I used to love watching that. And I, I was an addict, so of course I was watching that. It was a way for me to kind of think that I was healing in a way. But it was so hard for some families to understand that they had to let their tenants go. Some, most often it was their own child so that that individual could recognize the healing they need. So I think um, those two instances made me really recognize before I let someone in my home, I have to know they're in a healthy state of mind because I'm not always. I'm recovering. You know, this is, this is new to me. I've, uh, since January, told myself 90 meetings in 90 days, and I'm, I'm doing things, taking the steps necessary to make sure that I am in a, in a healing place for myself and then I want to get to that place I want what you have I want to get to that place where I can serve somebody so it's funny someone said that these, this little sentence wasn't that exciting um, but boy it's eye-opening when you think about how you need to serve someone but you also have to make sure that that you take care of yourself so that you can take care of others thank you so much this morning as I listen to this meeting every morning and I'm very grateful for it and with that I pass Thank you, Jolene D. We have time for two more shares on the uh, We Sell Them Allow paragraph on 97. Who would like them? Maria S. Maria S. Okay, I'm going to put my name down, Rebecca. Oh, who was that? Megan W. Megan W. We've got Maria and Megan. Maria, either S or F, go right ahead. Hi, Rebecca. This is Maria F from Dublin and Ireland. Um, I'm just tiny little chapter, but yet it says so much, you know, because it gives me instructions on what not to do as much as what to do. Um, yeah, and it shows me how to be considered in my family because I certainly wasn't always considered in my family. Um, and how, you know, bring another alcoholic into my home would cause complications for my family. And it brought me back to the complications that I caused within, within my home with my compulsive overeating. Um, yeah, I just think about my eating and, and the days where, uh, yeah, I caused so much pain. And, uh, and I love this big book, you know, and, and the big book was not only written for alcoholics, it was written for everybody's lives who's been touched by the alcoholic. You know, we chapters in the big book called Two Wives and The Family Afterwards. So, yeah, it just, it's just a clear-cut direction. And, and each chapter in the book, it, you know, it builds on the previous chapter. And it just gives me a clear-cut direction on how to get from the problem to the solution, because that's what I need to do, get from the problem to the solution. And my God, especially today, I need um, all you fellows in this program with all that's going on. And I am just so grateful to have vision and everybody on the line, because in, in Ireland we have no meetings at the moment, only online meetings. Um, so just to be able to, to get to this meeting today and um, and just be with everybody and just um, wishing everybody to be safe on that. So thanks, Rebecca. Maria, is it S as in Sam or F as in Frank? It's F as in Frank, Rebecca. F as in Frank. Hi. Flowers. Okay, one sec. Thanks, Thank Maria F. Hi, is this Megan W? It is. 
Great. Your turn. Uh, Megan W., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Texas. And um, just want to say over the last few meetings, I've really heard um, a lot of people discussing, you know, the balance between how much service do we offer and what do we give versus um, how much do we pull back and, and keep boundaries. And the big book tells us that uh, we addicts are people of extremes. And so we allow God to discipline us. And so the greatest service I can offer anyone is to maintain my recovery to strengthen my recovery and grow in recovery so that when a newcomer comes in i can share experience strength and hope um and you know bill w and lois didn't have children they devoted their hearts and souls to the program um and really so they were in a a position where opening their home maybe uh, put themselves in danger but no one else and so we all have to take a step back and connect with our higher power and seek his guidance and his tuition to know where we begin and where we end and what he can do that we can't do. And so constantly seeking God's guidance and asking, how can I be of service to the fellow uh, sufferer? And so I'm grateful to for the opportunity to share. And with that, I pass. Oh, thank you, Megan W. Sorry for the delay. Um, Well, this is Rebecca F., and since we have a couple minutes left, I thought I would chime in. And I also didn't think there would be so much activity on the line with willingness to share on such a short paragraph. And uh, sure enough, you all came through. And and with fabulous uh, insights, And for myself, when I read this paragraph, I was um, thinking that the complications in the family were to the uh, person who might come and live in my home. And then, of course, I realized, no, Rebecca, we're talking about my husband and my daughter. And um, I often uh, don't think of them first. And um, I realized this is about thinking about my family first and what's best for them and taking them into consideration and asking them for permission if I ever wanted to do something like this. And, um, you know, it's not about me. It's about how can I be helpful, not only to the alcoholic, but um, to the people in my home and uh, respect that they have feelings too and um, that they're important. And with that, I will pass. So um, let's see. I'm going to thank you, everyone, for your participation in this meeting and for the opportunity to be of service. The share ID number for this meeting, Monday, March 16, 2020, 7 a.m. Eastern Time, is 14,259. That's one, four, two, five, nine. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Marge O. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only to the end of the page. Yes, thank, thank you for the opportunity. Can I be heard? 
Yes, good morning, Marjo. Okay, thank you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize that we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.